Well, this week's passage, it's a long one. Uh, Mark is a standing reader this afternoon, so thanks, Mark, for jumping up and standing in. You did incredibly well there. It's a longer passage this afternoon, and there's three movements through the passage. Uh, but what we see in all of these three movements is, is a theme that, that we see throughout Scripture. One of the central themes that we see in Scripture, and we see it right from the, the, the first few pages, right back in Genesis. And the theme is this, it's, it's really a battle or a confrontation. And it's a battle between, on, on one side, religion, and on the other side, the gospel. And when we talk about religion, we'll throw up on the screen here, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the belief that, that we need to do certain things or not do certain things in order to be accepted. Or, or the belief that our belonging depends on our performance, like how well we're doing, the good things that, that we are able to do. Or it's the belief that the, the, the cravings that every one of us has deep down in our soul, the things that we all feel that we need to live, the good and godly things like love and, and joy and peace and contentment, the belief that those things are things that we need to earn, that we need to work for, that we need to, through our own strength, acquire for ourselves that's religion and then on the other side there is the gospel and in contrast the gospel says that we are accepted by God through faith in what Christ has done in the finished work of the cross that's our acceptance no works no no merit of our own we are accepted because of what Jesus has done on our behalf that's the gospel and the gospel says that we, we belong, not because of anything good that we have done or anything good that we are doing. We belong because of, because of Christ's righteousness, because of his good work, because we are clothed in all of his goodness. And those, those deep soul cravings that we have, love, joy, peace, contentment, those things that all of us want, they aren't brought to us through our work, through our merit, through our our strength, those things are brought to us as a free gift of grace from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And in the three encounters that, that Mark brought to us from the end of Mark chapter 2 and moving into Mark chapter 3, as the disciples are walking through the cornfields and before that, and this question about fasting, and then this, this incident on the Sabbath in, in the synagogue in Capernaum again, in these, these three encounters that Jesus has with the religious leaders, we see Jesus walk straight into that battle between religion and the gospel. He walks straight into it because, because Jesus knows that every single one of us, all of us, are prone to believe the lie that religion saves. That we just need to work harder or try better. Or do these things or not do these things in order to, to, to find acceptance, in order to, to find a place of belonging, in order to, to have those deep soul cravings met. We just need to do better. And Jesus, knowing that that is a lie, confronts this battle head on. And we might think, well, I've been a Christian for a while, so I can maybe tune off this afternoon. If we're talking about religion, I've moved, I've moved away from that. I'm a gospel person. I'm a gospel man, a gospel woman. Like if someone asks me, what's my religion? I say, I haven't got a religion. I've got a faith. 
So I don't need to listen this afternoon if, if Neil's just going to talk about religion. Well, well, the truth is, folks, you do need to listen. Because that fight still rages on. In every single one of us, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, the fight to move away from religion towards the gospel rages on in all of us. The great Tim Keller described it like this. He said, imagine your life is like a table. And you have religion on one side. And if you're a Christian, you have the gospel on the other side. And maybe we think that when we become a Christian, that, you know, if we're standing in the middle of the table, uh, the table kind of tips up like that and we, and we always slide towards the gospel. We always kind of move towards doing gospel things, living the gospel life, making the gospel decision. And Keller says, and he's right, more accurately, probably what is happening is this. That actually we find ourselves so often, day after day, sliding back towards religion. And we know where we want to be. We want to be gospel people. We want to be people who see that our acceptance comes through Jesus, that we belong because of Jesus, that, that our deep soul cravings are met in Jesus. We know we want to believe that, but it feels like an uphill struggle. It feels like we're sliding down the table back towards religion. Day after day, the battle rages on, whether we're a Christian or not. Every single one of us is prone to believing that lie that religion saves. That you just need to work harder and do these things and not do these things. And your acceptance, your belonging, your deepest needs are filled by your performance. And maybe you're still like, no, that's not me. I'm a gospel guy. I'm not religious. Well, well, let me throw up these questions as a bit of a diagnostic. They'll come up on the screen here just to, just to see really where this, this gospel inclination is. Just, just think about how many times this week you've been anxious about what people think about you. How many times this week you've felt the need of, of always trying to please other people like this, this wrestle within you of being a people pleaser. How many times this week have you got frustrated at God for not getting what you want? How many times have you used your resources, your time, your money, your gifts, your talents to make you look good, to gain the approval of other people? How many times have you been fearful of not being good enough? How many times have you put on a righteous front that, that was so contrary to, to, to your inner life, to the sin that you're struggling behind closed doors? How many times have you desired honor from other people above God? How many times have you done something Maybe, maybe you're here now because you think you have to. How many times have you made decisions like that this week just because you think you have to? And I guess all of us could say yes to at least one of those questions. Maybe, maybe all of them. And if we have or when we have, we are falling into the lie that religion saves. That I need to do or be, or not do, or not be, in order to be accepted, in order to belong, in order to have peace and rest and contentment. And Jesus shows us in the gospel, folks, the futility of that kind of life, the pointlessness of, of pursuing that kind of life, of trying to work for acceptance, trying to work for belonging, trying to work to fulfill those soul cravings. He shows us in the gospel that that kind of life is exhausting. 
shows us the futility of religion. And he encourages us, and we're going to see the encouragement this afternoon. He encourages us to throw off religion. He encourages us to come to him. And he encourages us to receive his rest. That's what we're going to see this afternoon. The call to throw off religion, come to Jesus and receive his rest. Look first at the first interaction there. Chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. And Mark tells us that that John's disciples, we've already been introduced to to John and the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of the day, they they were fasting. And in verse 18, a question comes to Jesus. We don't know who asks the question, but... But quite possibly, it's, it's some of the religious leaders. Question comes to Jesus, okay, why aren't your disciples fasting? John's disciples are fasting, the Pharisees are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? Now, we talked a few weeks ago about, about fasting being a good thing. It's a good spiritual discipline. We talked about it being a privileged posture of intimacy with God. But the question that's aimed at Jesus here. It isn't about intimacy with God. This is a question about religious observance. The people who asked Jesus this question, just like Jesus, were Jewish. And the main three pillars of Judaism are prayers, almsgiving, so so being charitable, helping the poor, and fasting. Prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. They were the three pillars of Judaism and the Jewish law required that all Jews should fast on one day a year on the day of atonement all of them should should stop eating on, on that day but this isn't the day of atonement and so the fast that John's disciples and the Pharisees are, are, are undertaking isn't that kind of fast what's going on here probably is that there was a an additional law that had been written by the religious leaders they had something called the Mishnah, which was there were lots of oral laws, oral traditions that went around in the day. And the Jewish leaders wrote down these laws in a book called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah said there were three additional fasts above and beyond what the Lord said, three additional fasts that you should undertake. And we don't really know what John's fast was, but we do know that the Pharisees fasted every week on every Monday and every Thursday. Some commitment, right? Twice a week, every week they fasted. From dawn to dusk, Monday and Thursday. But their their fast, it wasn't like the fast we talked about a few weeks ago. Their fast was about religious observance. It was a way of, of them demonstrating their commitment to God. Demonstrating their goodness before God. It was a way of them earning favour with God. It was a way of them pleasing God by their actions. In verse 19 and 20, Jesus responds to the question and he says, okay, listen, there is a day coming when my disciples will fast. He's alluding to his ascension. One day he will leave them. And on that day, they will fast. And we see that in the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles, the disciples do fast. But their fast has nothing to do with a religious observance. Their fast is that posture of heart where they they come into a place of intimacy with the Father, complete dependence on him. Not fasting because they they want to earn favour, fasting because they have favour already. They have love, they have 
peace. They've already been brought into rest. They are not fasting to acquire. They are fasting to enjoy what they already have. That's not what the religious leaders of the day were doing. Their fasting was about religious observance. And Jesus uses two pictures to, just to help describe the futility of religious observance. The futility of using religion as a means of acceptance and belonging. In verse 21, he describes the futility of trying to put a new patch of cloth onto an old garment. And then in verse 22, he describes the futility of trying to put new wine into old wineskins. And the point in both, the point in both illustrations that Jesus gives is this. Religion doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not going to get you what you want. It does not work. This week, Micah brought home his PE kit. And I don't know why, but the school only send him home with his PE kit once a term. It's disgusting, isn't it? He comes home with his PE kit. And to our shame, his T-shirt had a, had a rip, like, right across here. You could get your head through it. It was massive. And we've no idea how long that rip's been there. It's probably been there for months. Like, we're not going to win Parents of the Year Award with, with, with that PE kit. But he comes home, and it's, it's gone threadbare. You know, like, when the, the, the threads are just hanging out of it, and it's just, you can't recover it. There's no trying to, I mean, we wouldn't try and repair it anyway. Let's be honest. We'd get him a, a new T-shirt. But there are some times when you... You try and repair your clothes and you just can't. Like it's just so thin and so warm. And so with Micah's t-shirt, when it's in that kind of state, beyond repair, what do we do with it? Throw it. Throw it away. Can't be used anymore. And in Jesus' day, if you were going to make wine, they didn't have kind of big factories like we have now. and, And wine bottles were hard to acquire. So what they would do to make wine is that they would get a whole goat skin. They would skin a whole goat, they would eat the meat, and they'd take the skin and they'd, they'd fill the skin with, with all of the, the, the crushed grapes or crushed fruit. They'd put it in there, and then they'd seal up the goat skin, they'd hang it up, and they'd leave it to ferment. Sounds gross. It'd probably have a, a certain taste to it, wouldn't it? Like a goaty type taste. And they'd hang it, and it would ferment. And as it, as it fermented, it would give off gases, and the goat skin would expand with the gases. And it would grow bigger. And then eventually when the wine was ready, you'd pour it out and it would be good to, to drink. And you could probably use the wine skin maybe a couple more times. But the problem is as it expands, it gets thinner and thinner. And, and the, the risk is that it dries out and cracks. And that's eventually what would happen. Now, when the wine skin got to that point, what would you do with it? Throw it away can't be used anymore if you don't it would leak and your wine would get spoiled and you'd waste all of the effort and all of the investment that you put in to making that wine why does jesus talk about wine and garments here like what's the what's the relevance well if you look through the old testament you'll see exactly why in the old testament wine was talked often as as a picture of life and refreshment and newness and the prophets would talk about a messianic age that was coming. An age when, when the saviour, the Christ would come and that age would be marked with new wine. They talked about the mountains dripping with new wine. They talked about new vineyards growing and bursting into fruit. And that was going to be a sign of the saviour coming. A sign of the messiah coming was new wine. 
Jesus talking about new wine here, he's saying something. Folks, as an aside, that's, that's why Jesus' first miracle is the wedding at Canaan. Turning water into wine, Jesus is saying, you know that Messiah you've been waiting for? You know the new age that you've been waiting for? You know the refreshment and the life and the vitality that you've been waiting for? It's here. That's me. It's found in me. There's the new wine, the garments. The garments are talked about in the Old Testament. This messianic age, this age of the Christ coming would be marked with God's people being clothed in fine spiritual clothing New, fresh garments. Jesus is saying, he is the Messiah. This new age has come. Before the coming of Jesus, the only way that God's people could relate to him was through the old covenant, through laws, through rules, through do's, through don'ts. An approach that was religious And it did have its use, but it was never going to be enough to bring them the fullness of life. It was never going to be enough to bring them full refreshment and full contentment because the problem with the law was that God's people kept on breaking it and kept on falling short of it. And Jesus is saying something new is here. The old wineskin, the old garment was religion, but now something new is here. The new wine, the new garment is life in the promised Messiah, and that's me. And listen really carefully to what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, I'm not, I'm not interested in being integrated with your religious life. I'm not interested in being a bolt on to your religious life. I'm not interested, if you want to keep your religion and so on in Jesus' patch, that's, I'm not interested in that. Throw away your religion. Do away with your religion. I haven't come to enhance religion. I haven't come to update religion. I haven't come to reform religion. I've come to do away with it because it does not work. It will not save you. The lie that we're all prone to believe that our acceptance, our belonging to God, those deep cravings of our souls need to be earned through our performance, through our duty, through our works. Jesus says, throw it away. It will not bring you the life and contentment that you so deeply desire. Throw it away. That's the first thing that we see. And then look next at verse 23 to 28. Jesus is walking with his disciples and they're walking through some corn fields, some grain fields, and his disciples are hungry. And so they pick some of the the ears off the corn to eat. Lo and behold, the religious leaders are there. It's a a little bit like, it's strange, by the way, when you read this, like they just pop up everywhere, don't they, the religious leaders? It's like a Netflix documentary is following Jesus and they're just constantly watching what he's doing, constantly observing. And here they just pop up. They're in the field with, with the disciples and they clock that the disciples are taking these, these ears of corn off, off the, 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 the corn plants, the wheat, whatever it was. And they challenge Jesus. And they say, your disciples are doing what isn't lawful on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for the Jews was the most sacred day of the week. There were two things that, that set Jews apart from the rest of the nations. Circumcision and the Sabbath. They were the two things that really set them apart. And God's 
law instructed them to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. One out of seven days they were commanded to rest. That's the fourth commandment. That's a good law. Fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. It's a good law that reflects creation. And it's given to us to help us grow in our image bearing of God. Because in creation, God worked for six days, didn't he? And then, and then on the seventh day, God rested. And so when we're called to rest, we're called to, to bear his image. And to follow in his rhythm, his pattern of flourishing in life. And so from sunset on Friday evening to sunset on Saturday evening, Jews would observe the fourth commandment and they would rest from their work. The Sabbath was given to them by God and it was given to help them recover, recover from from their hard work. We have two days off, don't we? Imagine working six days and then needing that day to recover physically, emotionally, spiritually. It was given to God's people to help them to recover, to help them rest. It was given to them to help them repair, like allow their body just to breathe for a day and rest and repair itself. It was given to God's people to help them heal from all of the weight of the world, the brokenness of the world, just to take a day to slow down, to enjoy God and, and all of his gifts and, and for them to enjoy the healing that comes from time in his presence it was given to God's people to help them flourish flourish in how God has made them Sabbath was given to recover to rest to repair to heal and flourish it was a good thing but just like fasting the religious leaders added more detail they added more detail onto the fourth commandment so they said not only should you take a day to rest but here are 39 other things that you should do or shouldn't do Some of them are quite random. I haven't got time to go through them all. Maybe there's a sermon series there, but but here are the two that matter when we look at our text. One thing you shouldn't do is pick grain on the Sabbath. Another thing that you shouldn't do is walk more than 1,999 paces. It was that specific. And the reason they said 1,999 was because for them, if you went over 2,000 paces, you were going on a journey. You were traveling. And they said, that's a no-no. Don't pick grain and don't travel. Well, what what are the disciples doing here? They're picking grain and they're going on a journey. See how Jesus responds to the challenge from the religious leaders in verse 25 and 26. As every good minister does, Jesus takes them to Scripture to correct them. Takes them to 1 Samuel chapter 21 where, where King David was, was hungry and his men were hungry. And they had no food and so they went, they went into the holy place and took the bread of presence, the holy bread. They took it and they ate it. And now no one was writing books about David condemning him for what he did. The religious leaders aren't there giving great sermons about how how bad David was for taking on the Sabbath, on the sacred day, from the sacred place with his companions. No one was looking down on him. And so Jesus is kind of saying, well, what about David? And then he makes this incredible statement in verse 27. It's only recorded in Mark's gospel. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. Literally, the Sabbath was made for humanity. 
not humanity, for the Sabbath. Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, we don't need the Sabbath. So what are you complaining about? Like, no, he didn't say that. He's saying the Sabbath was made for man. He isn't saying that God's law isn't unnecessary. He's saying it is given to us for us to flourish in the life that God has given us. He's saying that the Sabbath is here to serve humanity. Jesus would agree with him. Yes, you need to rest. Yes, it's a good thing to take that day. Yes, you need to take Sabbath. But the point is rest, not religion. And he has all authority to say that because of what he says next in verse 28. So the Son of Man, that's himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. We might paraphrase it like this. Jesus is saying, I'm the rest. I'm the rest. I fulfill the Sabbath and I give it. And listen, one day a week is just an appetizer of the rest that Jesus wants to give us. He is Lord of the Sabbath. See, when we slide down that table, folks, towards religion, and when we try and fulfill those, those deep cravings of our soul, the cravings of love and joy and peace and contentment, when we slide down that table towards religion and think, I can work to get these things. I can acquire these things in my own strength. Folks, we need to see what we're doing is we're sliding away from the very thing that can give them to us. We're sliding away from Jesus. We're sliding away from the gospel. If we want those things which we do, if we want true rest, we're not going to find it in our, in our own efforts. We're not going to find it in our own work. Those things that our soul desires and craves are only found in Jesus. He is Lord of rest. He is Lord of peace. He is the Lord of love. He is the Lord of contentment. He is the Lord of joy. He is the Lord of everything that our soul craves. So folks, throw off your religion and come to Jesus. Come to him. Some of us really need to hear that this afternoon. Because as we think of those questions that we've just asked ourselves, we find ourselves crippled with guilt because we're not who we think we should be. Or we find ourselves crippled with fear because, because we're thinking what other people are thinking about us. Or we find ourselves getting churned up with anxiety because we think we need to do more or we think we need to stop this or we think we need to start doing that in order to be accepted, in order to be approved. And we find that way to be crushing. And Jesus says, throw that away and just come to me. Those things that we, we crave so deeply are never going to be found in trying harder and working harder. They will only be found in Jesus. So throw off your religion and come to him. Don't we see that so clearly in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, when Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Throw off your religion. You want rest? I'll give you rest. Not just one day of rest. I'll give you the rest that you so deeply desire. Folks, religion will exhaust you. Religion will crush you. Throw it off. Come to Jesus. 
and finally receive his rest. In chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, this is all taking place on the same day. It's still on the Sabbath. And Jesus is back in the synagogue in Capernaum. And into the synagogue comes a man with a withered hand. We don't really know what's going on here, but it's clearly a disability that he's been struggling with. Struggling enough that he, he comes into the holy place to, to find help from Jesus. And, and guess who's there watching everything going on? The religious leaders are there. Watching, observing. They've got their, their list of 39. Okay, we, we've seen his disciples break too. What's he going to do now? Which one of the 39 is Jesus going to break now? And, and we see in verse 2 that they're deliberately trying to catch him out. They want to try and accuse him, Mark says. And then we read this in verse three and four. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, to the religious leaders, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. See, Jesus knows their hearts. And Jesus, Mark says, gets angry. He gets angry with the religious leaders because they've missed the point. They've missed the point of the Sabbath. Remember what Sabbath is about. Sabbath was given to humanity to help us flourish as image bearers. Sabbath is given to us to help us find refreshment, help us find healing from from the weight of a broken world. Sabbath is given to us to help us repair what has been fatigued, what is tired, what is broken. Sabbath is given to humanity to heal. Heals. So this man coming to Jesus on the Sabbath to find restoration, to find health, to find healing from Jesus is the most Sabbath thing that he could have done. And yet the, the religious leaders miss the point. And in their hearts, they're, they're judging him and they're accusing him. And Jesus, Jesus observes that their hearts have been so hardened, so hardened with religion that they have missed the point. See, everyone in the synagogue that day was observing the Sabbath. The man with the withered hand, he is there on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are there on the Sabbath. They're observing the Sabbath. But over here, you have the religious Leaders who are so bound up in their religious observance that any flourishing in their life that they, they might desire has been suppressed. Their hearts have been hardened. And over here, the man with the withered hand, his Sabbath experience is one that brings him life, and one that brings him refreshment. And one that brings him freedom. And one that brings him rest. Over here with the man we have the gospel life. A life of contentment. A life of rest. A life of refreshment. A life where the burden is lifted off of us. A life where Jesus meets us in the exhaustion and the fatigue of living in a broken world. And we receive his rest. That's what we have over here with the man in the gospel life. Over here we have human religion, which is heavy, and which is exhausting, and which robs life from us. 
Folks, where do you want to be this week? I want to be over here with the man who's with Jesus. So would you throw off religion? Would you come to Jesus and would you receive his rest this week? And as you do, remember how that rest comes to you. We don't just wake up one morning and suddenly, you know, Jesus is, is, is in a relationship with us and we get to enjoy his rest. Now remember how that rest comes to you. At the end of the passage in verse six, we read this. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, against Jesus, how to destroy him. The Herodians were political supporters of King Herod. Herod was like the puppet king in Galilee. He was placed there by the Roman Empire. Uh, These guys, the Herodians, represented the occupying forces of Rome. And Rome was set on overthrowing the culture of the day. Coming into a new area and and overthrowing whatever culture was there and and bringing in their culture, which was an irreligious pagan culture. And the Roman Empire during this time was spreading across Europe and across Asia. But as it landed in a a new region, it wasn't welcome with open arms. There were quite often pockets of resistance. And quite often there was religious resistance because the the Romans were coming to to impose their pagan culture. And so little pockets, little movements of of religious resistance would, would crop up. And the Pharisees were one of those movements. The Pharisees stood against pagan culture. The Pharisees promoted a a life of religious morality. And so you have the the irreligious Herodians over here who are promoting pagan culture. And then you have the the religious Pharisees over here who are standing against the Herodians who are promoting religious observance. Like these guys were on opposite sides of of parliament, if, if we could say that. One was red and one was blue. Let's call it like that. Everton, Liverpool, not Chelsea, Liverpool. They're on different sides of of the fence, completely different teams. They're pulling in different directions and yet they come together and agree Jesus has to go. Jesus has to go. They see the power of his movement. They see people coming to Jesus and they agree on one thing. We've got to stop this guy. In fact, they go further than that. What do they say? We've got to destroy him. The religious and the irreligious both want to destroy Jesus. They're worried about people coming to him, joining his new movement. But what they don't realise, what they don't see is that it is precisely his destruction that enables us to come to him. It is precisely the destruction of Jesus' life that enables God's people to come to him and to receive his rest. Because Jesus' life is eventually destroyed on the cross. This is the first time Mark explicitly says, okay, look, it's coming. He's given hints already of the cross, but he's like, no, here it is, black and white. They're going to destroy him. They're going to kill him. And eventually on the cross, Jesus' life is taken away, not because of any of his wrongdoing, but because of ours. Because we broke the law, because we sinned, because we are sinful. But Jesus' death marked an end to the old way of religion 
and open the door to the new gospel life. A way where we're accepted by God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ based on his finished work. A way where we belong in the family of God, not because of anything good that we have done, not because of our great works or our great endeavors, but because of Jesus' righteousness. A way where every craving of our soul that longing for love, that longing for joy, that longing for peace, that longing for rest and contentment is met in Jesus Christ and given to us freely as a gift of grace. The death of Jesus Christ, his destruction, opens the way to the gospel for all who would come to him and throw away religion. At the end of creation, We see in Genesis that God rested from his work. And he didn't rest because he was tired. God rested from his work because he was satisfied. That's what true rest is. When we complete a work and we stand back and we can be satisfied at what what we have done. His work was finished and so he rested. At the end of creation, the Lord declared that his work was finished so he could rest. And at the cross, Jesus declared that his work was finished so that we can rest. We're going to take some time in a moment to share this meal together. And the reason we take this meal every week, folks, is because every day we are sliding back towards religion. And we need to remember the gospel. We need to remember the finished work of the cross. Each week we break bread together. And as we break bread, we remember Jesus' body that was broken for us. He was broken for us. He was destroyed on the cross so that we could find life in him. We take the cup together. Jesus says in Luke's gospel that This cup, it is a reminder of a new covenant that is made in his blood. A new promise that is given by God to his people. That we can have life in him, not not based on our work, not based on our merit, but as a free gift of grace. Because we take this meal as an act of remembrance. Because we need to. Because every day we're engaged in that battle of religion against the gospel. And this meal brings us back to the gospel. This meal reminds us of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. This meal points us to the cross, points us to the resurrection. It points us to the forgiveness that we have in Christ, the eternal life that we have in him. It points us and reminds us that he was rejected. He was cut off so that we could be accepted, so that we could find a place of belonging, so that all of our deep soul cravings could be met in him this is a meal of remembrance it's a meal of celebration but also this is a meal of help we come to this meal asking for help from the lord and so for those of us this afternoon who are anxious anxious because we 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 are striving to meet people's people's agendas and meet people's aspirations for those who are anxious the lord jesus christ says come and i will give you rest as you take this meal, for those of us who are fearful, 
thinking what people are thinking about us, the Lord Jesus Christ says, come and I will give you rest. For those of us who are full of pride, because we think that we're killing it and we're doing so well and we've made it, Jesus says, come and I'll give you rest. For those who are arrogant, Jesus says, come and I will give you rest. Our rest comes through his finished work. Friends, throw off your religion. Come to him and receive his rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we have fallen so short of your glory, we have broken your laws and we come into this world with a nature of sin opposed to you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for sending Jesus to us to meet us in that battle. We thank you that he offers salvation to all who have faith to believe, salvation from a life of religion, a life of exhaustion, a life of carrying a burden that will eventually crush us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you bring us into a life of 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 peace, a life of rest, a life where we are accepted because of what you've done for us, a life where we have true belonging because of how we are found in you. And so, Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters this afternoon. Pray that as we approach this meal that we would find help. We would come with, with a right heart, a right posture. We would confess of our sin. We would repent of it. We would turn away from religion and, and turn again to you and the gospel. But by the power of your spirit, you would meet us and give us help. You would help us to put, put our religion away, but you would also help us to, to run to you, to see you for who you are. And that you would even, just as we take this meal and hold this bread and hold this, this cup, that you would give us rest. That you would attend to our weary souls. Lift our eyes to see you. Help us to see you for where you are now, ascended at the right hand of the Father. One who has overcome our enemies of Satan, sin and death. Help us to see that there is a day coming when we will be with you too. But for now... We come to you and we ask for your help by the power of the Spirit. So we thank you for this meal. Thank you for this bread, this broken bread, which reminds us of your death on the cross and how you were broken for us. We thank you for this cup, a sign of a new promise, a new promise made in your blood. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have, past, present and future. We thank you for the hope that we have in the resurrection. So Jesus, as we take this meal now, pray that you would meet us, help us. Do the work in our hearts that we need you to do. And we pray this in your name and for your glory.